Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Fistic Arts Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again on the Fistic Arts Podcast. It is our UFC 245 preview show with me and Nick Ward. Nick, how you doing on this evening? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This is this is a pretty stacked card, Nick. And uh, in a way, they're almost. It seems like they're almost kind of you know they're, they're going to be spreading the next few events kind of thin with you know three title fights. These guys could potentially be out for a little bit for a little bit longer. But a nice way to cap off 2019, I think. Definitely a fun card when you look at it that way, but uh, the new ownership, I say new ownership, but it's been several years now, they seem to do this every year. They like to stack that card at the end of the year. They like to stack that International Fight Week card, and I get that. I totally appreciate it, and it's going to be fun on Saturday night, but like you said, the next few months, they could be a little bleak. It's kind of interesting, too, that like, I mean, the UFC has kind of been devoid of stars at the moment, but it's interesting that like you say that, and then... When you look at it, look at the names, right? Look at the champions and the contenders, you know, conf- uh, fighting them. These aren't very big name guys, you know. Really, out of three champions, I think they could have probably they probably could have picked a few ones with better names. Maybe I, I guess it was just due to availability, but it probably not like the dream three championship fights that they that the UFC might have been thinking of. It probably wouldn't be the three that I would I would lead with if I had all my champions available. But listen, they're three great fights. It's going to be incredible. The three fights, they present so many different stylistic challenges for the champions. It's going to be a really, really memorable night. I guarantee that. No doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really hyped about this. Uh, the, all, the, all the action is going to be very exciting, very intriguing matchup. So don't let the lack of star power fool, fool you. These are three great champions and three great contenders going up against. And then a few fights prior to that also on the main card, and we'll get into all that. But first, we'll start off with a rivalry that's been burgeoning. Kamar Usman taking on Colby Covington. And Nick, I am I'm pretty shocked at the lack of opportunity that the UFC has taken to kind of build this rivalry up in, in so many ways. Like I haven't seen any like, you know, of these two going at it in any way or, or, you know, one getting in an, an interview and, and talking smack about the other and even the embedded, it's really just Colby. I mean, uh, you know, doing his thing. I'm, I'm, I think it's a missed opportunity on, on their part, you know, to build any sort of intrigue for this one, because, you know, styles, as far as the styles go, you know, most people aren't going to be super enticed by two, uh, two grindy wrestlers like these two. I mean, Colby Covington, definitely a bit more of, of that kind of style. He's almost like a, a John Fitch with, uh, with, uh, some pretty good kickboxing, the Kamar Usman, you know, a bit more of the powerhouse, but what do you think you, you do? You, are you on the same page? Is this kind of a missed opportunity? Well, first of all, the hardcores are all about this fight. There's no way you can't get amped up. And I think talking about the grinding wrestlers, how they sort of mesh so well together, I think that's what makes it intriguing is that who can actually impose their will. The same similar skill set, yes, they do it in two very different ways. They have two very different approaches to get the fight where they want it. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see who can manipulate the game plan to their advantage. Now, talking about the UFC sort of missing out on their opportunity, I'm inclined to agree with you. But I really, truly believe it's because of the issues that they've had with Colby Covington. He said a lot about the UFC. He said a lot about Dana White personally. 
he made a comment within the last couple of days that he's not going to let Dana put the title on him when he wins the fight. I think the UFC has a history of sort of punishing guys that don't act a certain way, don't do what exactly what they want him to do, and obviously they stripped him of that interim title that he had, which, say what you want about Colby Covington, that was bogus. That was unnecessary to do. So I think there's more at play than just, oh, the guys are wrestlers and casual fans aren't really going to get into it. I think there's more behind the scenes causing this, and for better or worse, that's what's happening. I think, you know, it's, I, I was thinking that too, um, you know, especially the Zufa days with him, you know, with Dana White very, being very vocal, doing those post-fight scrums all the time, uh, you know, you, you'd hear him kind of going back and forth all the time with about fighters and things like that, and you always thought, like, UFC just has this spiteful thing where they can't get over this sort of thing, but I also just think that this WME um, era has also just kind of missed their opportunities generally, like, they really haven't, you know try to create use what they have because realistically you only have the fighters that are there right and, and at this point Covington Covington is one of those guys that's willing to push and you know to push uh, a narrative at least and yeah love him or hate him you know what if he's talking smack about the UFC there are a lot of people out there that support the UFC so let him talk smack let him be the guy that everybody hates you know it doesn't always have to be just fighter A versus fighter B you know talking smack to one another they can talk smack about the promoter people people do like that people enjoy that people people like when someone's sticking it to the man some people think you know shut your mouth right and so I think when it all when it's all said and done, someone gets punched in the face, and that's really ultimately you know the 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 uh, the point that we all reach, where like you know they they can say all this stuff and then they can finally settle it, and someone finally gets to be punished for their actions. I guess it's it's funny that in the what eighteen years or so that Dana White has been the president of the UFC, this continues to be the theme of his tenure. So when you look at I don't know Tito Ortiz is a great example. They had their personal rivalry. Of course, Chuck was involved. Dana was close friends with Chuck. Chuck didn't like Tito. Tito didn't like Chuck. Tito didn't like Dana. And, of course, the UFC blew up in large part because of those inter- conflicts between those guys. And, as a matter of fact, when Tito re-signed with the UFC, I believe it was back in 2006, he actually had it in his contract that he wanted to box Dana. Now, of course, that didn't come to fruition. But they had no problem publicizing it then when they had Chuck Liddell as their champion. They had no problem bringing it up then. But now that Kamaru Usman is maybe not as vocal or as exciting, you know, Chuck Liddell had the mohawk and the tattoo on the side of his head and he was knocking everybody out. He was just, you couldn't look away from him. Kamaru Usman is a great fighter, not taking anything away from him, but he doesn't have that same casual appeal. So I think that's part of the issue too. And it's it's very weird because... Years ago, you would say, you know, that's Dana, and he's passionate, and, you know, say what you want about the way he does it, but you know it comes from the right place. You know, he just cares so much about the sport. When you talk about WME, IMG, from day one, it seems like they didn't really appreciate what they had. They saw, they saw the dollar signs and didn't have the real passion for it, and I think this is another example of that. Well, if we put a title on the line, we don't really need a story because they're supposed to be the two best guys. If we stack this card with three title fights, we don't really need to worry about anything else because that'll sell itself. Oh, we don't have a title fight? Let's make a title. Just several things like that that when you put it all together, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't feel right. But on this particular night, this fight is going to be unbelievable regardless of how you feel about Dana, the company, or either fighter. 
Let's get into it then a little bit. I mean, when you look at it from the outside, like I said, you know, Colby Covington, uh, definitely, I would say, you know, I think if, if I were to trust a guy to, you know, push a push a pace more, I would say that it's probably Colby Covington. Not that Kamar Usman can't do that. I definitely think he can. Um, but I think he, he he doesn't push quite the same pace. You know, he's not throwing 300 strikes in a round, like I, where I'm very confident Colby Covington can do that. Obviously, though, Usman is definitely a freak athlete. You know, he's super, super strong. He's big. He's long. He's fast. He's powerful. But I would say on the feet, at least in terms of like the one, I think, clear, distinct advantage, I, I'd say skill-wise, I go with Covington. I think Usman, you know, he's very low output. And I just, I mean, I generally... I generally don't favor that in MMA. I really think you got to have a decent amount of, of, of volume to put out there, you know, to to win striking ex- exchanges. And I'm not. And it to me, it's very unclear. I think who's going to win the wrestling battle. So when I look at it there. I think you know Covington definitely could be in danger if he if he's not careful defensively. But I think that if he wants to pour it on, you know, we've seen him do it to so many guys, you know, in his last couple fights, Robbie Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos, Damian Maya, all these guys were completely outstruck. And obviously the former of the two I just mentioned there are well-noted, very good strikers, and they were completely undone by Covington. So uh, what, what do you see being the difference in this matchup? I do see a couple of key things. One you just touched on. Uh, Colby Covington has a, what I would call a Diaz brothers approach to striking. High output, maybe at 50-60%. Not throwing everything into every shot, conserving his energy. But he's always making contact. He's always pushing the pressure. He's always in your face. And he's always fighting at his range. And whether he uses that to you know, pop you in the face and then shoot in, or take a clinch up against the fence, or whatever, he has the ability to do that, whether it's over three rounds or over five rounds. It really doesn't matter. We've seen in his three-round and in his five-round fights, his cardio is virtually the same. It's not going to be a major factor. Kamaru Usman definitely will have the power advantage. I don't think anybody can dispute that. The issue that he may have, and I thought this going way back to the initial press conference where they announced the fight, is that he seems very angry going into this fight. I mean, he took his his shirt off or his sweater off at the press conference of the stare down, and it looked like he just wanted to rip his head off. So if he goes in there and says, oh, I'm just going to slam this guy like I did to Tyron Woodley, and then I'm just going to mangle him for 25 minutes, or I want to knock him out. And I know Henry Hooft, his, his coach, has said he's going to look to knock him out. If he's not careful, he's going to get he's going to be in for a rude awakening. Whether I don't see Covington flat out stopping him, but with the volume of strikes that he possesses, that he throws, and his cardio ability, his, his ability in those scrambles is almost second to none. I mean, he, he totally... The word I would use was outclassed Robbie Lawler from bell to bell. It's like Robbie Lawler was waiting to set up that one big shot, and it never came. And I think that could be the same thing for Kamaru Usman if he isn't able to keep all his emotions in check. That's the big red flag for me. And especially, you know, if you know if they're saying, "Hey, he's going to knock him out," right? Like, what happens if he if he doesn't give a takedown and he thinks, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll just stand and bang with him." And you know, we've seen Usman multiple times in multiple fights just not look comfortable on the feet. And when you're emotional, I, I you know, I, I don't see that getting any better for him. He's had one KO in his last seven fights. Excuse me, eight fights. Uh, every other one has been a decision, uh, and Kobe Covington's not much different. He's been a decision machine so far during his his uh, recent run, his re- recent win streak. And it's just tough to see. Like, I mean, like I think the, a big part of the reason why he was able to kind of control um, Tyron Woodley in their matchup was largely because 
he was simply, you know, a, a Tyron Woodley with a better gas tank and maybe a little bit stronger than than Woodley might have anticipated and really had a good strategy for taking taking the fight out out of uh, Woodley in that one and he and maybe he didn't have his best performance but either way I think you know we look at this one and I think to myself like Colby Covington's not gonna stop moving for anything he's gonna keep wrestling you he's gonna keep scrambling it's gonna be one of those fights where it, we might see like you know a very, very, like, rough fight in terms of, like, the scrambles and the wrestling that we're going to see in this. So, uh, we'll, we'll uh, hit this one on the head. What are your predictions for the fight overall, Nick? Oh, I mean, this is a very, very tough fight to call just because they're, for everything that makes them different, there's something that makes them similar in their approach to fighting. Um, if I had to put money on it, I will go... With Colby Covington, just strictly because of the cardio, and I know that when that bell rings, he will be all business, and I can't make that same guarantee for Usman. Not taking it any away from him, if he dominates him for five rounds like he did to Tyron Woodley, I won't be shocked. But if you're telling me I have to pick a winner, I will take Covington. That's not saying that I personally want to see that happen, but that's what I'm leaning towards, just based on emotion more than anything else. Yeah, that emotion, you really got me with that one. I think that's a really great point about um, about Usman and Covington in this one. And I just think that, you know, actually, in terms of improvements, I kind of think I've seen Covington improve more. I also think that, um, I'm, not, I'm not calling them a dumb camp, I'm, I'm really not, but a lot of the Henry Hoof guys, the combat club guys, they tend to fall into their game plan and never change anything for it. Never, ever, ever. Whereas, like, you know, you got um, ATT over there, you know, Mike Brown. Those guys are going to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. They got ideas for, you know, how to how to progress through the fight. And so for that reason, I'm de- I, I got to go with Kobe Covington. I, and I do think it's a decision. I think I think we're ending this one with, with a five-rounder. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. There's no doubt that that ATT is one of, if not the best team in the sport. The question I have about them, though, is there's no doubt with this persona that Covington has developed over the last couple of years, he's angered a lot of media, he's angered a lot of fans, he's angered a lot of fighters, and he's angered a lot of his own teammates. There's, you know, uh, Jorge Masvidal, Dustin Poirier, just to name a couple of people who said, you know, if I see him in the gym, we're going to have words. And you have to wonder how much of that team rallied behind him heading into this fight. Whether or not they came out and said anything, said, I'm not going to work with them, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to do that, that's one thing. But how many people really, you talk about a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, um, I wonder what the unity was like going into this training camp and how much ATT really played a factor in this. He even said this week or last week, I'm not sure which, that he doesn't always feel comfortable at ATT. So there's a lot of question marks about that camp for him. It, yeah, that definitely is an interesting aspect going to this one. You wonder what might come out of it after. We'll move on to uh, the featherweight title fight, the co-main event of the evening. In my eyes, my personal favorite on the night, Max Holloway taking on, in my opinion, probably the most dangerous fight he's fought since, you know, Jose Aldo the first time. Uh, and uh, at least a featherweight, not you know, just, so not including uh, Dustin Poirier back up at lightweight. 
I think Volkanovski is one of the most underrated fighters probably in the UFC. He never seems to get the respect. You know, he came in and people kind of thought, oh, this guy, you know, he's like a Tasmanian devil on the ground. He's got that vicious ground and pump, but, you know, and he got that great knockout over Chad Mendes. And, like, people have forgotten about him a little bit, I think. Um, but he's a dangerous challenger, man. I think he's just so well-rounded. He's ferocious. He's got that cardio. He's got a little bit of pop in his hands. And that, I don't think you can say for really, there, there, no one has that complete game like that, like, you know, when it comes to cardio, durability, power, and then just overall well-roundedness, like, uh, of any of the last, like, five guys that Max Holloway's fought. So, I, I don't know how he's get, Max Holloway's going to handle it, but I think we could see potentially one of the roughest fights Max Holloway's ever had. I think that's Volkanovski's goal for sure. I mean, you talk about his raw athleticism. He was once 215 pounds or 220 pounds, whatever he was, playing rugby at one of the highest levels. Um, you talk about the Chad Mendes fight and the and even the Jose Aldo fight to some extent, who's also on this card, just to illustrate how big this event is. Um, you know, a lot of the commentary that I saw after those wins were, well, you know, Chad Mendes was past his prime. Jose Aldo just lost to Max Holloway twice. They're not what they used to be. And there may or may not be some truth to that. Obviously, Chad Mendes decided to call it a career after that. Great career. One, uh, you know, a perennial contender in that division. One of the top stars. Uh, the fight for me that really stood out was the Darren Elkins fight. Darren Elkins is a guy that you talk about underrated. Darren Elkins' abilities are totally underrated. He's just a grinder. He's durable. He does not quit. He can take a hell of a beating. And he was thoroughly dominated for every second of every round. Uh, Volkanovski, just the perfect package of, of destruction and cardio. And how will Max Holloway deal with it? He'll, he'll, he'll be his creative self. The, the concern that I have for Max Holloway and that I have had pretty much for the last couple of, last two years or so is the head injuries, the issues that he's had with concussions, obviously pulled out of uh, International Fight Week a couple of years back when he was originally scheduled to fight Brian Ortega. Now, when they did fight, he seemed fine, and he took some he took some shots in that fight, so it shouldn't be questioned, but it's always in the back of your mind. Um, but yeah, whether, whether Volkanovski can get it done or not, he is definitely being overlooked by a majority of fans. I, that is for sure, yeah. And it's crazy to think that he was a rugby player once, but you see the pictures of him like, all bulked up. I'm like, wow, that's that is insane. Did like, I think he cut all that muscle and then just chose a career of MMA. It's pretty, pretty wild. And you know, he's a ferocious competitor. Oh, man, I, I I am always concerned about that whenever I see Max Holloway nowadays. He still takes a great shot, but you always wonder. I kind of think though, um, I think that this fight may be his last one at, at featherweight. It, with that in mind, you know, the, the cut is probably only going to get worse. He's, you know, approaching his 30s now pretty soon. And, um, you know, I think with a guy like this that, you know, has some real poverty, we can see what that weight cut really does to him. We, we might be able to see just how, how bad it is and how might it, it bad it might affect him because as we've seen, it's it's always the chin. It's the chin that's nearly always affected whenever you're you're struggling with weight cutting. So that's only going to be interesting to see. And what, what, how do you think that the matchup plays out, though? Do you think that maybe Volkanovski can be one of the, the few guys to get him to the ground at featherweight? Just because of his build, I think he could be the guy to get him down. Now, whether he can keep him down or not, I'm not convinced. Uh, I've tended to question a lot of Max Holloway's, not abilities, because obviously there's no denying them, but it seems like every challenger, 
seems to present a problem that I say, oh, this could be the one, and then he thoroughly dominates. So I've learned not to not to question him. He seems just as confident as ever, but we do know, as you brought up, uh, his days at featherweight are definitely numbered. I mean, he was talking very recently about still wanting that fight with Khabib despite uh, the failed bid against Dustin Poirier. So his days at featherweight are definitely coming to a close, whether it's after this fight or maybe one or two more. But he'll definitely move up. But I just see him... You talk about a guy who pushes a pace. Max Holloway pushes a pace like I've never seen. And he also, similar uh, similar to the Diaz brothers as well, he doesn't always put everything in every shot. And it really messes with his opponents. I mean, Frankie Edgar going into their last fight, Frankie Edgar had looked phenomenal for quite a while. And he was never really in that fight. He did what Frankie Edgar had done to Gray Maynard, you know, six or seven or eight years before. He was... Frankie Edgar, and it was just, it was unbelievable to watch. So I, I can't bet against him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the upset. I am not going to bet him in this one, even though I'm very high on Alexander Volkanovsky. Max Holloway, to me, just always has an answer. He's one of the smartest fighters out there in this game. I think, but I, think, I don't even think it's very close, to be honest with you. Because if you think about, like, just in terms of athleticism and, you know, he's he's 5'11", but he's got, like, a really, really short reach, yet still always manages to keep people, like, far away on the end of his punches and things like that. I just think the depth of his game, it's incredible. It, it really is. And um, I think he's going to cap off his featherweight his featherweight reign with a uh, with a submission over Alexander Volkanovsky. We've seen Alexander Volkanovsky being taken down to the ground pretty easily a few times, albeit by Chad Mendes, who's a fantastic wrestler. But I think this is one where there's just a few things that Max Holloway can do in terms of uh, strategy, but also just he's going to fight a pace that he's never fought before, and I don't think he'll be able to handle I think Max Holloway's going to want to rip it up because he always just seems to rise to the occasion. Absolutely, and he's very tricky on the ground. He's sort of underrated on the ground because he prefers to stand up and bang, but he's got the perfect frame frame for tricky submissions, whether it's you know triangles or anacondas or whatever. Whatever he wants to do, he can he can get it done. I do think though that if Volkanovski is to win this fight, it will be by testing that chin. It will be a one shot knockout, and then it's done. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked, man. I mean, Volkanovski could call off a big upset here. Let's move on to the the last title fight on this card. Amanda Nunes taking on Jermaine Durandamy. Nick, I'll just ask you right away. How, how, what, what are your thoughts on this fight? It, it's, uh, it, I don't know. It's not getting me going, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I, I love watching Amanda Nunes. I think Jermaine Durandamy is a, is a great striker, and she actually she could potentially test Amanda in, in that regard, so don't be too shocked. But I don't know. I just I just don't know what to make of this one stylistically it's a fun fight if you're if you grew up a striker if you like striking this is the fight for you but from a from a rankings perspective from a fans perspective this one did sort of feel like it, it came out of left field and obviously yes Jermaine Durandamy did just defeat Aspen Ladd but and I don't think this is necessarily fair to her but the way I look at it there is a bit of an asterisk next to that performance because Aspen Ladd had such such a difficult weight cut. I mean, she looked terrible. I, for one, don't think the fight should have gone ahead. And, of course, the second she got touched, it was over. Not taking anything away from Durandamy, because everybody knows her credentials standing. But was it enough to get me amped up? 
for a title shot against the undisputed greatest female fighter of all time? Not necessarily. I would have much rather, and I know obviously this can't happen because uh, she's with Bellator, but I would have much rather coming off the heels of her last win, Cyborg get the rematch. I think that would have done better business. I think that would have been a more intriguing matchup given the way the first one went. And I think we could be having a very different conversation right now. It's also, you know, you know, big win from her there, and, and there was some controversy, of course. But Jermaine Durand to me, you know, she's on right now a, a five-fight win streak, but she's literally fought once every, every year in the last five years. So 2019, Aspen Ladd. Raquel Pennington was 2018, Holly Holm, 2017, and Elmos, 2016. Larissa Pacheo. 2015. So she, her momentum has been completely stalled here, which does, in a sense, say a lot about her ability to just perform consistently like that. So, I mean, like I said, you know, she's a very good striker, very talented, and she is a lot more lethal, I think, than people think. She is so deadly accurate, and Amanda Nunes cannot be, you know, maybe as careless as she as she can sometimes be with, like, you know, other opponents like Ronda Rousey. She's going to have to be very careful, and I'll say this, you know, Amanda Nunes does not do great on fights where she has to, you know, be very, you know, uh, tight and and not be as loose. I, I think she's much better when she knows that she can just sling those hands and sling those kicks. And not that she hasn't imp- improved leaps and bounds, but, you know, don't be surprised if J- Jermaine Durandamy gives her a tough test in this one. Absolutely. I rewatched her fight with Cyborg the other day. Uh, Nunes' fight with Cyborg, I should say, just to clarify. Um, and even though the fight was only a minute or so, just under a minute, uh, people forget that she got tagged a couple times in the beginning of that exchange. She was hurt before she before she really brought it to Cyborg. She, she kind of lunged in, and she ate a shot, and she didn't drop, but she did wobble, and she, to her credit, she managed to compose herself, but it wasn't this, this dominant blowout, this dominant one-sided thumping that everyone seems to remember. Sure, the last... 30 seconds was all Nunes, but the first 30 seconds, it was, it was competitive and she did find herself in some trouble because she got a little careless with her strikes. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I am, I'm, I'm still going to go for Nunes. So I think all three titles will be retained by their current champions. So we'll move on now to man. It, it, like you said, this is, this is a stack card for sure. We'll move on to Marlon Marais and Jose Aldo, but First, Nick, I got to say, um, man, first of all, I mean, when you saw this fight, you had to be thinking, man, what is Jose Aldo doing dropping to 135? We know, like, the struggles he ha- has had making 145, 10 pounds up, and then you see the pictures of his face, and my God, like, he he looks like a corpse withering away. I, I just... I see that, and I and I and I don't mean that as a joke. I, I'm genuinely like scared for him. I'm very very scared. Like he looks almost, it, it looks like he's lighter than he was coming in into a weigh in at 145. And yeah, albeit he's never missed weight, but I I'm I'm really scared. I'm really scared for this. I, I you I, I, how are you feeling about it, Nick? Um, I don't like it. Weight cutting has always been a major issue across combat sports as a whole. Uh, in mixed martial arts, we've been lucky that there hasn't been a serious injury, especially on a, on a bigger stage like the UFC. Um, but if if guys keep doing things like this, it's only a matter of time. You talk about those photos. When I first saw them, it reminded me of Conor McGregor at 145. It was very similar, just drawn out, 
whether he's smiling and giving a thumbs up or not, you know that he's miserable. There were reports that he was eating two pounds of salad a day to get ready for this. And as you mentioned, this is a guy who has a history of having trouble making 145. Now he's going to drop an extra 10 pounds. Um, years ago, when he was getting ready to fight Mark Hominick at UFC 129 in Toronto, I was actually at the Fan Expo where they had, I don't know if you remember, they had the UFC Champions panel. They had a Q&A with all the champions. That's right. Uh, Jose Aldo left midway through that panel because he was so exhausted from the weight cut. And then, of course, the next day, everyone remembers he did defend his title. But the last round and a bit were quite memorable because the hometown boy, Mark Hominick, really put it on him. And the Rogers Center thought he was going to pull that off. Uh, and the older you get, the, the harder it gets. So to make this move now, I think it's – I don't like it. I think it's more of a sign that there's no doubt his career is definitely – nearing its end and i think he's just trying to one last time sort of see if he can get a fresh start somewhere else and not to mention the fact that marlon marias is big for 135 he's a big guy that guy has tree trunks for legs it's i i don't like the fight at all but i understand why he's doing it i understand why the ufc would allow him to do it given all he's done for the sport and for the organization yeah and and you know you look at his record too nick uh it is a little bit unsettling, you know, since the Chad Mendes fight, seven seven fights, he has lost by TKO three times, once to Conor McGregor, obviously, and then twice to Max Holloway. He's got three wins, once over Frankie Edgar, which was a dominant win. You got the Jeremy Stevens one where it looked, he looked shaky for a moment there, Renato Maikano, and then most recently the Alexander Volkanovsky loss where he just, that was probably his worst, the worst performance of his career by far. He just did not look like himself. He looked completely out of it actually in, in that one but yeah like you said Marlon Marais and that's the other thing on top of this compounding it all is Marlon Marais is just vicious and he is almost like he has similar traits to Jose Aldo you know a young Jose Aldo you know WEC Jose Aldo where he's coming out super fast very powerful hard leg kicks and he's a, probably you know a more aggressive dynamic striker than, than than Aldo in that sense where he's going for like the kill shots all the time with those head kicks incredible leg kicks and you wonder cutting down to this weight class and Jose has slowed down you wonder how much slower he's going to be and how he's going to feel that speed and on top of that the power it's not just going to be a simple speed advantage he you know Marais could be very deadly in this one and I'll just say it right now. I, I think Marais is, is going to finish Jose Aldo if this fight actually does, you know, come to fruition. If Aldo doesn't, you know, pass out on the scales, uh, you know, knock on wood and everything. I really hope that doesn't happen, but I just I just don't see another way. I'm inclined to agree with you. I know his camp this week, I guess, obviously, they had heard the reports that he wasn't looking good when those photos were released and whatnot. They came out and said that he's had an easy weight cut. He feels great. And whether you say that or not, I mean, the photos don't lie. And it's one thing if, you know, he had one particularly bad weight cut, but given his history of issues making featherweight, I don't see how you can put on that game face and say, oh, I'm doing great. And I think we're going to see the results of that Saturday night. And the thing, too, even when this fight was announced, a lot of fans were saying, oh, my God, I'd rather he not fight. I'd rather him retire than fight at this depleted level. That was the narrative that I saw. Yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely in that pool for sure. Let's uh, quickly finish this one up. We got Uriah Faber taking on Peter Yan. 
And I have no idea why. I mean, I, I guess they're trying to build up Peter Yen, who is a destroyer at this division. He looks, his rise has almost been like Khabib-esque, where like he's been quietly just, you know, on a card here and there, under card or whatever, and just absolutely dominating the competition. He He's so ferocious. He he looks unfazable like, by nearly any strike. And with the game of Uriah Faber, which is just so, I mean, to be to be honest, and maybe even generous, rudimentary at this point. You know, he, he beats R- Ricky Simone uh, back in July. And, you know, I mean, the one thing you had to know about Uriah Faber is just, you know, he's got his two things. He's going to try and walk into that right hand, and he's got some uh, good wrestling with some good ground and pound. And the one thing he did was just allow that right hand to come right into play. Uriah Faber gets the win, and I, I just think that, like, I don't, I don't see a route to victory for Uriah Faber in this one at all, Nick. I, not to take anything away from Jan either. I mean, he's had an incredible run. He's a Russian tactician. He's so crisp with his strikes. He, he never seems to be out of position. He always knows his distance. He always makes the right decision. He's very smart. But this is the legend Uriah Faber. We have to take that into consideration as well. I know his last fight was very short and it was it was one one and done and that's to be expected but at the same time he has a way of no matter who he's fighting whether he, and he was for the majority of his career the smaller guy he frequently found a way to whether he won or lost the fight put his hands on his opponent at some point get in a scramble at some point the issue that he has is when he fights a very technical striker he if he's on the end of a jab he tends to kind of sit back and get a little comfortable with that. He doesn't over-engage, just like he did with Jose Aldo, like he did with Henan Barrow on two separate occasions. Dominic Cruz beat him handedly in their third fight, I thought. Uh, I I don't see him coming away with the win. I see why both fighters would want this fight, though. After his last fight, Uriah Faber probably thinks, okay, you know, I beat a young guy a minute or whatever it was. Now, you know, my my window is definitely closing. Give me give me a guy that I can get behind and I can beat and I can then springboard myself to a title shot. And for Jan, I mean, this is a win-win. Now, obviously, he thinks he's going to win, and I think a majority of uh, oddsmakers do as well. But anytime you can fight a legend, not only does it does it do wonders for your career, but you get that experience, that invaluable experience that gets you to a place where you're ready for a title shot when the time comes. So I do think Jan runs away with it over the course of three rounds. Um, but you can never count out your eye favor. Well, I'll give you that. Yeah, your eye favor does somehow, some way, find ways to get get victories. I just think that, you know, you mentioned the jab, and I think that's definitely going to be something in play. I think your eye favor is going to have his nose jab right off his face. In this one, but I also think you know the leg kicks. The, the yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, look at Jimmy. Look at what Jimmy Rivera did to him. He, as soon as he figured, oh yeah, I forgot Uriah Faber is terrible at dealing with leg kicks. His his like leg is just no longer able to physically take those anymore. He just chewed him up with those. And Peter Jan has some crushing, crushing leg kicks. I think we're gonna see a very similar outcome to that kind of uh, like a three round version of the Jose Aldo fight of your life where he just, you know, he gets crucifix, he gets like pounded on and everything like that. I, I think this is going to be an ugly fight. I think that the, the thing that you can always count on with your eye favor is he is 
durable. He is durable, and he is one tough son of a bitch. My God, like, I, I cannot take that away from him. So I, I agree. I don't think he's going to be put away in this one, but I think this is one of those, you know, uh, this is one of those uh, moments where you make a star out of Peter, and this is one of those moments where you're like, okay, this guy this is one to put on the resume here. He just beat your right favor. Put him in a main event, and I think that's what's next for him after this win. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see him headline a, a fight night card or something like that with a victory, of course. For sure. That is all the time we have, though, for the Fistic Arts Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Remember to follow us on Twitter. You know, Nick is at Nick Ward MMA, of course. Sorry, is that right, Nick? Nick Ward MMA? That's correct. Perfect. I got it right. <laughs> I was second-guessing myself there. I'm, I'm, of course, at Jeff Austin Wall on Twitter. You can find me there. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think about the pod. And uh, talk with us uh, during those fights. We'll, we'll, we'll be ready and waiting.